And I know that God has a word for me, and I know he has a word for you. His word never returns void. The Bible says that when that word goes forth, it will accomplish something. It will, every single time. So it's important for us to hide it in our hearts and let it work on us and transform our mind, as Romans says. But today I want to, um, I want to concentrate on something that we forget sometimes. And that is that Jesus is Lord of all. It's a small word, but boy is it big, isn't it? All all-encompassing. And we know already so much about God's character. If you have spent any time uh, worshiping God, if you've spent any time seeking God, if you've spent any time studying God, you know a lot about him and you know he's amazing, like we're saying. You know he's big, he's powerful. In fact, there's three words, the three big words, all beginning with O, that a lot of people can't say because <laughs> it's too hard, but I'm going to say them. And the first one I want to mention is omnipotent. Omnipotent. Does anyone know what omnipotent means? All-powerful. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. And then omnipresent. He's everywhere, all the time, everywhere. There's nowhere that he isn't. And then omniscient, all-knowing. Sometimes I wish I was all-knowing, and then other times I'm really glad I don't, <laughs> not. <laughs> I'll leave that up to him. But the scripture I want to start with this morning is Ephesians 4, if you will turn in your Bible or turn towards the screen and read Ephesians 4 with me. Ephesians 4, verse 5 and 6. Ephesians 4, verse 5 and 6 says, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. All is a collective. It's inclusive. It's encompassing. It, it gathers it all in. It's all under one umbrella, right? And then the word one is in there also. God is one. The Bible says all through and through that there's one true God. His name is Jesus Christ. There's one true God. There's not many gods. There's only one. There's only one that we can look to for salvation. There's only one that we can look to for healing. There's only one that is a deliverer. And he is the one true God. And his name is Jesus. It says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One. There's no competing value with that number. It can't be divided. You cannot divide one. There's pieces to it. There's pieces to God. His character has a lot of pieces to it. But he is one. And God's kingdom, of which we are a part, of which we want to be a part, is autocratic. There's only one power. There's only one authority. God's power. God's authority. His kingdom is not a democracy. We don't get to vote on whether God gets to remain in power for another term. Uh, we don't, if, if, whether we agree with him or not. Um, we, we don't get to vote him out. Uh, we don't get to look around and see if there's a, another God that would do it better, that would be a better God. We try, don't we? We try, but we, we can't. We can't overthrow God. There's never been a su successful coup against God. Nobody has ever thrown him, uh, thro thrown him off the throne. You can't do it. There's no successor. There's no one just waiting for God to die so that he can be the next God. There isn't. 
There's one. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. Everything is all-inclusive in that one true God. And the big difference between his kingdom and earthly kingdoms is that he's not just the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And yet, he gave each one of us a choice to let him be king, to let him be Lord over our lives while we're here on this earth. And we are able to choose if we're going to give that lordship to him or not, or if we're going to try to hang on to it ourselves and make a mess of things, which we will do. (laughs) If you are the Lord over your life, I guarantee you, you will make a mess of it because you're not a very good Lord over your own life. You were created to be under his lordship. He made you that way. It was intentional design. And he has all the power needed to be the best lord of your life. The best king over your life. If we look at um, nobility, kingdoms that have, you know, the, the noble structure, nobility, um, you know, it's, there's an elite group of lords and ladies, right? There's not very many people get to be that. And in fact, there's even less people would necessarily get to be the lady because in order to be the lady, there has to be a Lord. Am I right? And because it's the succession line goes from male heir to male heir in in that situation. And so in order to be a lady, there has to be a Lord. The position, the power, and the wealth belong to the Lord. But the, the lady has access to all he owns, but only through an intimate relationship with him. She has to enter a covenant, in an earthly sense, a marriage covenant. But she has to enter a covenant with him in order for her to take, um, have access to the privileges and the responsibilities of being his lady. So when she went into covenant with that Lord, all of that came upon her the privileges and the responsibilities. Suddenly she had expectations that she didn't have before. Now she has to represent. Now she stands for something. It's not her own something. It's his something. And the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. And in order for us to be that bride, there has to be a groom, which we know is Jesus, and we have to enter into covenant with him. There was an old covenant where people had to sacrifice animals and blood was shed to cover their sins, but only for a short time. It said the sins were just rolled ahead for a year. So it didn't last very long. It was annoying to take care of your sin. It was messy to take care of your sin. But there was one sacrifice for all time. Jesus Christ came to earth in the form of a man. He came so that he could die on the cross and be that ultimate sacrifice For our sins, it doesn't have to be rolled ahead because he's an eternal God. That means the sins are covered eternally. Eternally. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus is that bridegroom. And in order for us to take advantage of the position of his bride, we have to enter into covenant with him. And the New Testament, the new covenant says that we can access that. We do, we come before the Lord. We repent of our sins. We get buried with him in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. We get filled with his spirit. And all of a sudden we have access 
to his lordship over us. All the position, power, and wealth that belongs to the Lord, he allows us to partake of. But it's only through an intimate relationship with him as our Lord. So we enter that covenant and sometimes we like all the privileges that come with that covenant. We like to be able to just depend on the Lord. We, we like to be able to trust him and say, oh, God will work it out. And that's that. But we forget that we have responsibilities also to go with that. We love the pomp and circumstance of the royal court. We love to come before his courts with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. We love to feel his presence. We love to feel him touching our lives. We love it when he heals us. We love it when he delivers us. We love all those things. Those are part of the covenant. But what about when we're not here collectively and we're not working with each other and we're not seeing somebody else worshiping and it encourages us to worship and, and we don't any longer want to bow down because there's no pomp and circumstance anymore. We no longer want to take the time to bow before our Lord. Sometimes he asks us to do the hard things. We don't want to bow. But that's still part of the covenant. Even when no one's watching, our commitment has to be sure. Our commitment has to be, yes, eternal. We have to surrender all. We sang that today. I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give. He asks us for secret things, things that we would rather not talk about, things that we would rather not have him even really look at. Oh, we'd like him to take care of it, you know, so that we feel better, but we don't want him to actually dig it out. We don't want him to actually pull it out. That's painful. That doesn't feel good. Have you ever had a deep splinter? Yeah. I had one that went right down below my nail. It was horrible. It was disgusting. And when I jammed my thumb and it went in there, it went in there a good half an inch. And I'm looking at it going, how did that happen? How's it coming out? <laughs> and it hurt. My, my thumb just throbbed and I, I just I remember standing there just looking at it like did that really just happen what am I supposed to do now <laughs> I have this thing <laughs> where it doesn't belong what am I supposed to do with it and I remember just kind of looking at it for some time and then I just kind of you know I was doing laundry at the time so I just kind of finished my laundry and I'm just thinking well do I need to go to the doctor what do I need to do with this and I thought well I don't want to go to the doctor. So I took a good look at it. I got, got a needle nose pliers and pulled it right back out. <laughs> and it didn't feel good. <laughs> and it left a scar. And it took a long, long time to heal up. And it hurt while it was healing. And sometimes we get things in our lives. Sometimes we let them get in there. But sometimes we get things in our lives that don't belong there, that hurt, that are a problem, that we know are going to be a problem. If we leave them there, they're going to fester. They're going to be a sore. They're going to get infected. And they're going to cause big problems then, right? I couldn't leave that there. And that's what God says. You can't leave that stuff there. You can't leave it there. Sin festers. Sin is an infection. It will destroy your life. You can't leave it there. We have to do something about it. And unlike my thumb that I could do something about, we can't take care of our own sin. We have to let him do it. He is the one that takes care of our sin. He is the one that will be Lord over everything and fix the problems. 
So I have some questions to ask you today. Is he Lord of all? Really, in in your life, in my life, is he Lord of all? I have to self-examine sometimes and say, Lord, are you Lord of all? Is there things in my heart that maybe I don't even realize they're there because they haven't started festering yet? They haven't started causing problems yet, but I've let them get in there somehow. Is there something there? Is he Lord of my bitterness? Do I have a root of bitterness that has crept in there, that is jammed in there, that is going to fester? Is he Lord of my bitterness? Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently lest any man fail. And fail there means be tardy or come up short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. When we allow things to sit and fester, it starts to spread and then it doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us. It affects his kingdom. He can't have that there. As the king of the kingdom, he has to do something about it. Does it bother us that many could be defiled by our own bitterness? We're responsible. According to the scripture, we are responsible as part of our covenant to look diligently for any root of bitterness that needs to be brought under his lordship. So we need to find where that is and do something about it. And another area that we struggle to make him lord is our forgiveness. How many have been offended before? Have you ever had somebody just do something that you struggled to forgive them for? Something that wasn't right. Maybe they were in complete sin. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were taken advantage of. Maybe something happened that you're like, well, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. How could this happen to me? And, uh, and we get an unforgiving spirit sometimes off of those things because they seem too hard. They seem too big. They seem like something we can't really deal with on our own. And, and that's right. We can't really deal with on our, on our own. But we can make him Lord of all. We can make him Lord of our unforgiveness. And we can come before him. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our part of the covenant says we have to take that unforgiveness before him. We have to say, Lord, I am confessing to you. I am sinning by holding on to this unforgiveness. This unforgiveness is going to be a problem to me and to those around me. So Lord, I give that to you. I give that to you. Please take it away. Help me to forgive. And then if I've confessed it and I've given it to him, I have no right to not forgive myself. We fall into a trap of not forgiving ourselves, of holding on to the guilt, of holding on to the shame and saying, well, I forgave that person. But we get into self-loathing. We get into self-condemnation. And when we do that, he's not Lord. He's not Lord because we're, we're basically saying that my opinion of myself is higher than his opinion. What is his opinion? You are loved. You are forgiven. You're a new creature in me, Jesus says. You, all things, all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And when he says that, it is done. And when we say, oh, but Lord, I am not worthy. We're saying, okay, well, I I don't care what you think. My thoughts are bigger. 
my opinion is bigger. He needs to be Lord of our own unforgiveness of ourself. Lord, help us, Jesus. Help us to forgive ourselves, God, that we can be, that you can be Lord over our unforgiveness. Jesus, in your name. And then we look further inside and we see other things that we have to deal with. Is anyone here feel, feel called to a specific purpose in, in God's kingdom? Has God called you to a specific purpose? What is that purpose? Have you taken the time to find out what the purpose is? It can look different from time to time. Sometimes we feel like we know what God is calling us to do. We're like, oh yeah, this is it. I know it. And then all of a sudden everything changes. We're like, oh wait, <laughs> what was that? I don't, we get a little blindsided sometimes. And, but God has a calling for each, per, for each person. You have been created for a purpose, a specific purpose. He made you exactly the way you are for his purpose. But are you perfect? Can all the perfect people stand up, please? Because we want to look at you. We want to observe you. We want to put you under a microscope because doesn't everyone wish they were perfect? I get so tired of being imperfect. <laughs> and the Bible says, though, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When we someday make it to the other side, when we make it to glory, we will see that God has perfected us, made us perfect. So many times in the word, the, uh, the word perfect actually means complete. Complete. Done. Poke it with a fork, it's done. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that will be us one day. But not right now. Not right now. We're not perfect. And, and we all uh, struggle with our imperfections. But we need to make him Lord of our imperfections. Lord of our disabilities. People are born with disabilities. Or they have disabilities come upon them through accidents or what, whatever. However they come. Maybe they're discovered later in life. Disabilities. Maybe all of a sudden you need to be able to do something. You discover, wow, I can't do that. You have a disability. You have issues. Or maybe you're a victim and that's made you have disabilities. There's a man in the Bible um, named Moses. Everyone heard of Moses, right? Moses. Great leader, wasn't he? One of the best leaders of all time. I and mean, people study his leadership to see how he did it, right? But let's go. We're going to go to kind of the middle of his story. We know that he was, you know, born in Egypt during the time that all the babies were supposed to be killed and, and his mother hid him, right? And uh, he was actually raised in the palace, um, under the leadership of the very man who was trying to kill him in the first place um, because the princess decided she wanted that baby. And so she took that baby and she made it her own baby. And his own mother had the, the opportunity to nurse him. And that was God, in, God intentioned because he grew up in the ways of Egypt and get, he gained knowledge and understanding in Egypt. And yet his own mother was able to nurture him and tell him there's a one true God. Jehovah is the one true God. That's the, the God you need to serve. That's the God we love and serve. We are the Israelites. We're chosen of God. She put that in him from a young age. And so he, he had both sides of the coin. And then he grew up and he 
decided to take matters into his own hands and he killed somebody. And we won't dwell on that part of the story too long because I want to get to the next part. And he ran for his life into the wilderness and he spent 40 years in the wilderness being a shepherd. Ooh, wow. A prince to a shepherd. (sighs) Moving right along. Wow. And all of a sudden, he had all kinds of disabilities because he grew up without very many disabilities, didn't he? He had everything. But all of a sudden, he had all this was against him. He was sought after. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So he's on the backside of nowhere, and God, Jehovah God, comes to him in the form of what? A burning bush. Anybody seen a burning bush before? No, I haven't. Well, I have, but it, it that's uh, when we're doing pyrotechnics in the backyard, right? <laughs> and, or my husband is. <laughs> he likes to burn things. <laughs> I like to burn things, too. <laughs> I just, he uses gasoline and I don't. So anyways, <laughs> but all of a sudden there's this burning bush and nobody poured any gasoline and nobody struck a match. It was just burning. And that was God's way of getting Moses' attention. And Moses uh, came near to see why it was burning, but it wasn't burning up. It wasn't being consumed. And God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and said, I have a job I want you to do. You're going to go back to Egypt where they want to kill you. And you're going to go actually to the court of Pharaoh, who's the one that wants to kill you. And you are going to go in boldly before him and say, let my people go. You're going to command Pharaoh. The Pharaoh at that time was, you know, pretty much the king of the world. He, he, he ruled the largest country at that time. The largest um, uh, group of people were under his leadership at that time. So pretty much Moses was having to go before the uh, most powerful man in the world and tell him what to do. Uh-oh. And he, <laughs> and he didn't want to do it. Wow, imagine that. But Moses had a specific reason why he didn't want to do it. In Exodus 4, uh, verse 10, And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. He said, I was this way before you came to me in the burning bush, and since you've been talking to me, there hasn't been any healing. Nothing has gotten better. <laughs> I have been speaking to God, and nothing changed. So, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou spoke to my servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Some Bible scholars think that perhaps he had a stutter or some kind of speech disability. He had a disability. This man who was being called to be the most powerful leader in the Bible. So he said, I was this way before you came, and I still am this way. Kind of like, Lord, didn't you remember? I don't have, I can't talk very good. And the Lord said unto him, who made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb, the deaf, the seeing, and the blind? He's listing out different disabilities that people might have. And we know people with disabilities, right? Who made those people? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore... Okay, we established that. I made everybody the way they are. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. Wow. Boy, you know, that would be like the best push in the back, right? Like, wow, okay. God said he's going to give me the words, and all I have to do is go. Pretty easy, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. In other words, God, you've picked the wrong person. There's somebody else. 
that's going to do this much better. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? And God got sarcastic. I know he can speak well. (laughs) Thanks, God. (laughs) Ah, Aaron's your brother, right? Well, I know he can speak well. Since you can, I know he can. Of course God knew that Aaron could speak well. Why didn't he pick him in the first place? If the job was speaking, why didn't God give Aaron the job? Because Aaron could speak well and Moses could not. But he didn't pick Aaron for that purpose. He didn't choose Aaron to be the leader over the people. He chose Aaron to be the priest, the high priest. That was a specific calling on Aaron's life. He didn't choose Moses to be the high priest. He chose Moses to be the leader, the mediator between God and man at that time. That's what he chose him to be. We need to stop trying to take a hold of somebody else's calling because we think we can do it better or stop asking God to give our calling to them because we think, oh, they are more talented than me. They can do it better. Look at what they have to offer you, God. I have nothing. Wow, is your opinion better than God's? Is your opinion higher than God's? No. No, Moses was treading on thin ice there. (laughs) I don't want God angry at me. (laughs) But Moses basically refused to take the first step of his calling and the journey to the freedom of all the Israelites. So we have to let God be Lord of all. We have to let him be Lord of our disabilities. And sometimes we ask God to heal those disabilities And his answer to us is, you're fine just the way I made you. I heard a story about a um, man who had a a disabled son from birth, a special needs son who um, had severe disabilities. And they they were God, there was a a godly couple and they prayed and they believed and they did everything they they anointed him with oil and prayed in the name of Jesus and said Lord we believe you can heal this boy we believe that you can make him whole that you can make him complete and they they prayed and they begged and they they had faith and then they didn't you know they went through this whole process and finally when he was six years old the Lord spoke to him why couldn't he have spoken to him earlier oh God is Lord over all, remember? He has the timing, the perfect timing. And he spoke to me and said, I'm not going to heal your son because he's exactly the way I made him to be. He has a purpose in his disability. And we have to take our disabilities and present them to the Lord and say, Lord, be Lord of my disability. Be Lord of my shortcomings. Be Lord over the things that I think you should heal, that I think you should take away. Be Lord over that. God can do anything. He can heal any disease. He can take away any infirmity. He can heal any brokenness. He is that big of a God, and he does do it when it's according to his purpose. So we still need to pray. We still need to say, Lord, if this is your will, be Lord over this brokenness. Be Lord over this disease and take it away if it's your will. And I will be careful to give you the glory. I will be careful to give you the praise. I will make sure people know that you did it. You are Lord over this sickness. But then... If he's not going to take it away, we have to be okay with that. We have to say, you're still Lord. You're still Lord. He's intentional in what he does. We see from this viewpoint, he sees vertically. 
The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything in between, and he knows how it all works in. So sometimes giving him lordship over our disabilities means we have to live with the disability in order to bring God the glory in that disability. Thank you, Jesus. We have to have enough faith to ask, what, God, what's your intention? What are you trying to do with this? How can I serve you with this disability? Instead of trying to convince him to line up with our idea of perfection. He has to be Lord of all. He has to be Lord of all. Or he's Lord of nothing. Because a Lord has power, all power. And he's the Lord of the universe. He has all power. So he has to be Lord of all. And we let our, our emotions get out of control. And we live in a society right now that has out-of-control emotions, right? Have you heard the, the term, the outrage culture has anyone heard that term before? We live in an outrage culture. Everybody is outraged about everything. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Everybody. Everything. I mean, there, if you want to be offended, it's not difficult. There is something for you. There is something for you. And <laughs> originally, the whole idea about the outrage culture, if you look into it a little bit, people were like banding together with this outrage culture because they wanted to bring injustice to light. Well, that sounds nice. That sounds good, right? Yeah. We want to make sure that people know that there's, there's bad things and maybe we could bring them to light and maybe we could do something about them. Yeah, great. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? except for it took a turn for the worse because people started being so offended about every little thing and they dwelt in their offense instead of actually doing something about it. And so everything that comes up on your feet, oh, 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 that offends me. Oh, look at that. Can you believe? Can you believe that? No. And then everybody comments, all their little comments. And they have all this stuff to say. And they have all these opinions. And, oh, I have a good link to post on that one. There. I'm offended. You should be offended, too. Look what has happened. And that's what we do instead of actually doing something about it. But Proverbs, the book of Proverbs talks all about this outrage culture. All the way through, all you have to do is read a proverb every day and you will be convicted by being outraged, right? I'm just going to tell you one little proverb, but it's all through there. Go ahead and read it. You'll, you'll see. Proverbs 14, 17 says that he that is soon angry or quickly angry deals foolishly. So we have to let God be Lord over our anger over our outrage. Otherwise, our worldview gets tainted with this offense. And the cry for tolerance actually results in less tolerance. And we, we habitually get angry and we habitually are outraged about every single thing. And foolishness abounds in our world today. Foolish responses, right? The foolishness is incredible. Sometimes you, you see it and you, whoa. You can't hardly believe that it's happening. Scripture shows us that the progression of unbridled sensitivity, in other words, being very overly, sen overly sensitive and easily offended, here's the, the progression. Matthew 13, 15 says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. 
lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. When we allow ourselves to get caught up in this outrage culture, what actually happens is we start to like being outraged. We start to like the feeling of being offended. We, like, we start to like having harsh things to say about every little thing. It becomes a habit. It becomes something we like, and it becomes our way of life. And the Bible says that when it becomes like that, we actually start to close our ears, and we start to close our eyes because we don't want to see the good things. We only want to see the bad things to continue our habit of offense. And the Bible says that once we do that, we start to close off our eyes and our ears, we also are closing off our heart and we can't understand. And then we can't be converted. If you can't be converted to God's way of thinking, if you can't be converted to the idea that he is Lord, you will not take part in salvation. You will be lost. So we can't soak in the world's outrage and let ourselves become desensitized to it. We should only be outraged about certain things. The Bible says we should be outraged about sin. Sin is something that needs to be, uh, that we need to reject purposely, that we need to look at and say, that is not right. According to the Holy Scriptures, that has to go. We need to get rid of that sin. We have to do whatever it takes to bring that sin to light and get rid of it, whether it's in our heart or whether it's around us. We need to try to influence our world to get rid of the sin. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. So if you continue in that progression of sin, you will have the end result of death. And unfortunately, the Bible says that it will be an eternal death, eternity without God. We should be outraged about sin. We should be outraged about disrespect of the God of the universe. When we get sucked into this perpetual anger, we refuse to allow God to be Lord of the injustice, to be Lord of all the victims, to be Lord of all the broken, the hurting, and the abused. If that happens to be you, we want God to be Lord over that. But you can't do that. You can't, he can't be Lord over it if you're clinging to it and staying outraged about it. Colossians 3, 12 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It pulls it together. God's love is what makes it perfect. And here's the command, and let the, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let God's peace rule your heart. God offers peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He offers it to you. When you come in communion with him, peace is available to you. But we have to let the peace rule our hearts. It has to be the primary thing. To which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Is he Lord of all? Is he Lord of your outrage? Is he Lord of your private life? The Bible says that 
We're supposed to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow me or follow Jesus, right? He made that orderly on purpose. God is a God of order. And the first thing he said we have to do is deny ourselves. We get it wrong. We want to take up the cross, any cross. We'll take up crosses that don't belong to us just for the feeling of, hey, I'm doing something for God. I'm carrying this cross. And it makes us feel good inside. But that's just ego. Put that cross down. It doesn't belong to you. And pick up the cross that God actually wants you to bear. Deny yourself first. Because when we deny ourselves, we are letting him be Lord. And he will show us what burdens we're supposed to bear. He'll show us what we're supposed to carry in our following of him. We get it out of order, but he says, no, here's the order. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. There was a man named Daniel who prayed twice a day, I'm sorry, three times a day, in the window every day. That was his self-discipline. That was his spiritual discipline. And there were men who didn't like him, and they got a law passed that said that anybody who would pray to anyone except for the ruler of the land would be thrown to the lion's to be eaten. Now Daniel, of course we, who know the story, we know that he indeed did pray. He indeed get, did get thrown in the lion's den and God, who wasn't ready for Daniel to be done, shut the lion's mouths in a miraculous uh, moment and he was not eaten by the lions. But Daniel, he was so intent on having God be Lord of his life, that he would rather be eaten by lions than go just 30 days without praying. 30 days. That could have been super easy. He could have even just prayed quietly in the corner with nobody seeing. But he didn't because he, he knew that he had already made God Lord of all and he wasn't about to take God off the throne in his life. He was just going to follow on the journey that he was already on with God and continue in the covenant that he had made with his God. What we do in private, the Bible says in Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure it will rise to the surface. And in Matthew, it says your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And we always think of rewards as like a treat. Oh, if I'm good in private, God is going to parade me before everybody. He's going to give me some kind of special treat. Well, maybe, yes. But also, he's going to reward the sin. And the reward of sin is death. He's going to reward whether it's a good reward or a bad reward. That's our choice. Our Father, which sees in secret, will reward us openly. So is he Lord of my private life? Is he Lord of what I do? quietly when nobody's looking is he lord of the the things in my heart that nobody knows about is he lord of my opinions is he lord of what i'm prejudiced against is he lord of that peter in the book of acts acts chapter 10 there's a story of peter peter if you remember peter was that amazing guy who got up on the day of pentecost and preached the first sermon of the start of the church right and he, we know him to be boisterous and loud and always ready to say things. And, and we know that that's what, who Peter was, right? He was the sanguine of the disciples. And he, he was, you never knew what was going to come out of Peter's mouth. You never knew when his sword was going to fly out and he's going to chop somebody's ear off. You never knew. You didn't know what to expect out of him. 
But he was convinced in making God his Lord over all his life. And that's why God could use him in such a powerful way. And in Acts 10, initially on the day of Pentecost, the people that were initially filled with the power of the Holy Ghost were Jews. And they, they expected that because the Jews were God's chosen people, right? They expected that. And yet, God had a bigger intention than that. And he said, no, it's for everyone. And Peter even spoke to himself. He said, it's for all. He said, it's for your children and your children's children and, and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So anybody, anybody can have access to this. And he said that with his own mouth and he forgot it. And so here he's sleeping one night and he's, he's uh, having a dream. And in the dream, this sheet comes down. It's held at four corners. And this sheet comes down. And the sheet is filled with all these nasty animals. All these animals that way back in the law, God said, don't eat those animals. So there was snakes in there. And there was, I don't know, what, what else was in there? There was bugs. There, what, pigs. They weren't supposed to eat ham, right? There was pigs in there. And there was all kinds of all kinds of animals that I wouldn't eat. <laughs> Whether God told me not to or not, I just wouldn't. <laughs> and he, he filled this sheet and he lowered it down and he said, Peter, go eat these animals. And Peter was horrified by that. First of all, because he already had a covenant that he wouldn't eat those animals. So first of all, he was true to his covenant. He said, no, I can't do that. And second of all, he was probably thinking, ew, I, can't, ew, I don't want to do that. No, I'm not going to eat that. No, God, no. Why are you asking that silly thing? And so the, the sheet went back up, and he fell back asleep. And down came the sheet again. Oh, we have to have this dream again. Okay. Peter, rise, kill and eat. And he said, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to eat those animals. And the sheet went away. And the third time, here comes the sheet. Peter, rise, kill and eat. And this time Peter was like, there's something more to this than just having a ham sandwich. <laughs> a ham sandwich. There's something more to this than the Lord saying, let's have hot rolls and ham, hot ham and rolls for, for Sunday dinner. And he said, Lord, okay, what, what are you trying to say here? What are you trying to tell me to do? What am I actually supposed to be call, called to do right now? And God showed, said there would, he would know next what would happen. And very soon after, there came a knock on the door. See, there had been a man named Cornelius who was not a Jew. And so he wasn't one of God's chosen people. He didn't belong. But God had been working with this man. And Cornelius wanted God. He wanted to know God. He had a desire for the things of God. And so he prayed, and he had a devotion every day. And he wanted God to change his life and the life of his household. And God will always answer those who seek him. When you seek him with, his, with your whole heart, he will come to where you are. He will fill you if you need to be filled. He will change you if you need to be changed. Don't we all need to be changed? God does that to those who seek and Cornelius was seeking. 
And things had already changed, but they just didn't know it. Because with the New Testament, the Israelites were no longer the elite people. They were no longer the special people that they were the only ones who could know God. No longer. The New Testament opened it wide open for all people to take advantage of salvation. And they just didn't know that yet. This was the first step in that journey. And Peter was stepping out into the unknown. And so Peter went with these men, according to the word of the Lord, and went and spoke to them and preached the same gospel that he preached on the day of Pentecost. And Peter, it says in Acts 10.34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. And here he just, in parenthesis, almost like it just dawned on him. He was getting revelation. He said, he is Lord of all. God's intention is to be Lord of all, Lord of the Jews, Lord of the Gentiles. Peter was getting a, a revelation. His own racism had to come underneath the lordship of Jesus. He had been raised to believe that anybody who wasn't a Jew was a lesser person. He had been raised to think that. He believed that with all his heart. But now it was no longer applicable. Now we're in a new covenant, and he had to surrender his worldview to God's worldview. He had to bring that under subjection. He had to let God be lord over his prejudice, lord over his own racism. He had to realize that the... the um, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet knew what he was saying when he said, God's thoughts are not my thoughts. For your thoughts are not, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. We cannot exalt our ideas, our opinions, and our prejudice above God. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, Casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's an aggressive action. You don't take a prisoner of war by going, Hey, do you mind coming with me? You're my prisoner now. I'm, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put these chains on you, if you don't mind. And um, I'm going to take you away. And I'm going to put you in a dungeon. I, I hope that's okay with you. There's rats there. I'm sorry. But we, we'll give you bread and water just to kind of keep you somewhat alive. Um, I hope you don't mind. Is that okay? Can you come with me? That's not how you take a prisoner of war. <laughs> it's an aggressive action. The Bible says you're supposed to bring into captivity every thought. We have to take a hold of the thought and say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You are no longer a free thought. You're coming with me. And I'm going to take you before the throne of the Lord. And I'm going to say, you have to obey Christ. This thought cannot be of its own accord anymore. This thought has to be uh, my captive. And I bring it before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't ask, we take. We have to be vigilant to capture every thought every prejudice, every bit of our world view and bring it before the Lord. If the music wants to come and uh, start playing the, a little bit, um, if you know Jesus be the Lord of our all or I surrender all, that would be wonderful. Really, when Jesus is our Lord, it boils down to being a personal thing. We can say he's our Lord our Lord collectively, but it really has to be in here. He has to be my Lord. Thomas was a disciple. He is one of the 12 disciples, and he gets a bad rap. He's known throughout the ages as 
doubting Thomas. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair, and I'll tell you why. Thomas went everywhere that all the other disciples went. He heard everything all the other disciples went. Maybe, we don't know, but maybe he was one of the ones that was most active in handing out the bread and fishes. Maybe he was one of the ones that was right there helping in every moment, helping Jesus. Maybe he was making sure Jesus had what he needed. Maybe he was the one bringing the water bottle to Jesus. I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing. But maybe he was a lot more than just doubting Thomas. The Bible doesn't tell all anything else except for this little, this little piece of his story. But instead of us focusing on his doubt or his lack of faith, let's focus for a moment on how he made God his Lord. He said, well, they, they said, Jesus has risen, risen from the dead. He's like, really? Yeah, he did. And Thomas, his mind must have been racing at that moment. And what came out of his mouth? He said, I, I want to I wanna see that. I want to see that. I want to see the prince in his hands. I want to feel the, the wound in his side. I, I, want, I want to experience that. That's actually great faith where somebody doesn't just hear something and say, oh, that's nice. But he's like, I want to experience it. I want to see for my own eyes. I want to feel with my own hands. I want Jesus and me to actually have a conversation. And I will believe that he's alive because I want that experience to convince me he really did raise from the dead. I don't just want to believe it, but I want to experience it. And that's where we stop short sometimes in our walk with God. We say, oh, I believe him. I believe. I believe that he came to save me but we don't go further and have an experience with him. We don't say, God, what do you want to do with me? How can I touch you? How can I feel you? How can I converse with you? And he says, I have a gift for you. I have the power of the Holy Ghost that I can fill you with my spirit and you will never be alone again. You will never be comfortless. I will be with you. And that's the experience that God is actually saying you can have. You don't just have to believe that I am the resurrection and the life. You can actually have that resurrection in your own life. And so when Thomas, Thomas was granted that request, that experience, when he sought God, like all people who seek God, God said, oh, here's somebody who wants an experience. Here's somebody who wants more than just believing. And he said, because you asked, here you are. Come over here. Look at my hands. Look at the prints in my hands and in my feet. Touch my side. Put your hand right there. Make sure that you feel it. Get your experience from me. Jesus says, get your experience from me. Don't just stay at belief, but come and get an experience with me. Because I want to be Lord over everything. And if you need an experience to help make me Lord over your life, I am giving you that experience. I am filling you with the power of the Holy Ghost so that you can experience me day in and day out. And Thomas, when he got that experience, it was revelatory for him. The thing that came out his mouth was, my Lord and my God. Suddenly it became very real to him. After three years of walking with Jesus, that was the moment that was the most real for him. My Lord, my God. 
And if we'll just bring our stuff to Jesus, and we can do that here today, if we'll just bring that stuff to Jesus and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if you want to heal it or if you want me to just live through it, but I want you to be Lord over it. Jesus, I want an experience. I want to touch you. I want to feel you. I want to hear you speak. I want to have a conversation with you that goes on and on and on. I want that experience. I want to make you my Lord and my God. If you will stand. Someday we will all bow the knee to Jesus, whether we choose to or not. It says in Philippians 2, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They'll co will confess, will bow. Why wait? Have your experience now. Bow the knee now so that you aren't forced to someday where every knee has to bow because of his power. Here we are uh, available to an experience with God that we can choose to have. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Do you want hope in your life? Do you need hope? Do you feel hopeless? Jesus Christ can give you hope, an eternal hope, the hope of salvation, the hope that only he brings if you'll make him Lord of all. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I praise you, God, that we can be here today, Jesus, that we can bring our knees before you, Lord, and that we can say, here I am. Here I am, Jesus. I surrender all to you. I give you my, all my disabilities. I give you all my prejudices. I give you everything, Lord, because I want you to be Lord of all. If you have things you want to bring before him, why don't you bring those symbolically? Why don't you bring those to the altar here? This altar is open for you today, for every person in this place. Come before him and say, Lord, maybe this is just the one thing I can give you right now. Maybe I only have one thing that I feel like I can give you. That's okay. Bring that one thing. Let him be Lord of that one thing. If you want to just scoop it all up and say, Lord, my whole life is a mess. My life is a disaster. I'll bring this whole thing. I'll scoop it all up and I'll bring it before you, Lord. And I'll say, Jesus, be the Lord. Be the Lord. My Lord, my God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, let us come before you, Jesus, with all those things, God, that you know we would be better without, that you know, Jesus, that we would be better not trying to take control of ourselves. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to release those things to you today, Jesus. Help us, Lord, not to bring them and then take them back with us, God. Bring it and leave it with Jesus. Leave it at the cross today. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Jesus, I trust you, God. I give you this thing, Lord. I give you these things, Jesus. I can't carry them anymore, Lord. I want to deny myself, Jesus. I want to take up that cross that you have intention for me. I want to surrender to you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I freely give it. I freely give it. I give you my fears, Jesus. I give you my worry, Lord. 
I give you my struggling Jesus the anxiety that I struggle with Lord I give that to you Jesus I exchange it for peace today God I give you the depression that I struggle with God I know that you can give me joy you can take that burden of depression and you can replace it with joy I make you Lord over that depression Jesus Lord I bring you the burden of sin that I carry God I want your freedom I want the freedom of knowing that you our Lord of all. Jesus, I give you complete surrender. I give it all to you, Jesus. I give it all to you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, help us, God. Help us, God. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are replacing it with love. I thank you, Jesus, that your grace is that you will cover it with all grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all power that you make available through the power of your spirit, Jesus. The power to overcome sin. The power to know wisdom, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I freely give to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I bow my knee before you, God. I submit myself to your authority, Jesus. Lord, I want your authority in my life, God, to do as you will, to make